0: detour again from the typical bible study Um, and we're going to have a lesson or a discussion i should say on the lost virtue of silence Um, i think uh, you know i wanted to speak about this a little bit tonight and 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 look at some scriptural passages um, because i think it's something very relevant to our time Um, but it's also something uh, silence is something that has become a rarity In our world. Um, And I think I I use the word rarity uh, very generously. So, you know, often in times of, um, often in our time, we will find that, you know, silence is associated with weakness. Um, It's maybe associated with guilt or a lack of intelligence. When people are silent, it can be seen as passiveness. Um, It can be seen as an inaction or it can seen as apathy to a certain cause. And and the world we live in right now, the world demands words. It demands activism. It demands outreach. It demands action. Um, And silence in our time, especially in times of social justice reform, is often characterized as as, uh, insensitive to the cause. Or we hear maybe that silence is deafening. Um, And I'm not speaking specifically on any social justice issues, obviously, but I'm just talking generally about the theme of silence. When we think of piety, when we think of what it means to be religious, in in today's world, piety is often associated with um, akin to someone acting and doing something tangible. Um, Silence isn't necessarily part of what it means to be pious anymore. Um, We often hear things like the squeaky wheel gets the grease. In arguments, whether it's with our spouses, our friends, our classmates, um, we often desire to be the last one to speak the loudest, the person who gets the last word on social media is probably the worst place, you know, even with strangers, um, we see arguments breaking out, you know, thousands and ten thousands of arguments a day. If you've, any, if you've spent any time on Twitter, you'll be um, very aware of this. And it's, I think social media, especially um, Twitter is probably you know, akin to, to, to chaos. Um, people are arguing about topics that are superficial and irrelevant, things maybe they don't even know anything about, but it's all about this idea of many words. Um, in our cars, we're listening to radio. We're listening to podcasts. At work, we have meetings, Zoom conferences. Uh, at home, we get home and it's Netflix and, and cleaning up and chasing kids if you have kids. And every moment in between all those different activities, um, we are on our phones. Typically, if you're, anything, if you're like me, you're, you're typically on your phone a lot. And our phones have really become an extension um, to who we are. Uh, almost like part of our, our flesh, the way we, we we hold our phones 24-7. You know, essentially what it's come down to is our mind and our senses, they have no rest. Um, there's no break from the constant stimulation of visible and audible noise that we're experiencing. It's constant, constant visible and constant audible noise. Um, And I think most of us would find it difficult to point to the last time where we had any type of break, where we had any type of, you know, except maybe when we're sleeping, um, we we really can't point to a time where, you know, our senses weren't stimulated in some way. You know, specifically when we think of internet and technology uh, in general, although they have many positive uh, impacts in our life, um, they've kind of led our lives to be a life of constant distraction, um, essentially verging on addiction, I would say. Um, and I speak this from personal experience because I feel like that sometimes. Um, and if we're truthful, I think that's where it's going. Um, and Ten years ago, I think if I was in a conversation with somebody, it would be um, looked at on looked upon as incredibly rude to look at my phone in the middle of a conversation. Now, I think it's it's something very normal, and people don't think twice about. Um, so, so it's kind of like this new normal um, where you know this constant input of information going into our minds through our eyes through our ears it's it's overwhelming if we think about it you know i i I think about often when i'm driving and i will stop at a red light my first inclination is to pick up my phone and look even if it's been like you know a minute since the last red light i was at and even after thinking about this topic and preparing this you know i found myself today in the car doing the same thing Um, very aware of it but almost not able to stop it um, so i my senses and our senses are constantly being fed, constantly being fed. And this has a big impact on our spiritual lives, a, a very, very big impact. And this virtue of silence is one we'll see that has been lost, I think, to a certain degree, um, on most of us. And the virtue of silence is really critical to our spiritual health. And we'll look at some scriptural patches just about that. But I mean, fundamentally what it comes down to is without silence, we cannot find Christ. It's the simple truth. Um, You will not experience or we will not experience Christ amongst the constant noise of the day. um, And there's just no way to get around that. Um, We'll talk about many reasons why today. um, But the first and most obvious one that um, before we jump too much into scripture, the first and obvious one is really, you know, the, the gateway to sin is through our tongues, through our mouths. And sin is what separates us from God. So, at the fundamental level, the more I talk, the more I sin. That's how. That's kind of how it works. And the monastics and the and this is the historic history of the, um, the monastic life. They they all knew this very well. So silence was very important for them. I will. Um, I'll share some scripture as as we go through. Um, let me just share my screen here. Hopefully, everyone can see it. So, in James um, chapter three, verse six and eight. Uh, we can read, I got my Arabic on, but um, we'll read from verse six to eight. It says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of inequity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it's, is set on fire by hell for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue it is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. One of the great Desert Fathers, St. Arsenios, he says, um, many times I regretted that I have spoken, but I have never regretted on being silent. Which if we think about it, um, this day and age, if we said something like this, um, I think many people would uh, hear it and be shocked. You know, Because again, what I was saying earlier about silence is seen as apathy, or sin is seems not caring, um, especially in certain matters. Um, and and St. Arsenius well and the fathers and, and mothers of the church, they knew that um, silence w- was one of the keys to getting close to Christ. And the first step is to avoid sinning with our tongue. As St. James says, the tongue um, is uh, it cannot be tamed by man. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. It leads us to sin, and sin takes us away from God, and being away from God leads us to death. Our Lord tells us in Matthew 12, 36, he says that we will have to give an account for every idle word. Um, So that's, you know, the depth of, you know, what it means to, to be silent. You know, we have to give account for every idle word. Um, So it's important as a first step that we limit how much we talk just to avoid sin. Um, But, you know, the, the main discussion today isn't around just avoiding sin. Um, You know, that's not the goal in our lives. Our goal is not to just avoid sin. You know, our goal in our lives is meant to be climbing that ladder of virtue, trying to become united with Christ. We're not just trying to avoid something. We're trying to get closer to him. And to get closer to him, we don't avoid So We don't just avoid sin. We have to attain virtue. You know, through the grace of God, through these steps, we will attain virtue. And silence is really a foundational step of trying to um, climb up that ladder to Christ. We read in the very famous verse verse in Psalm 46, um, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. And when we read this, when it says, be still and know that I am God, this knowing that is being said by the psalmist is not in the sense of acquiring some kind of knowledge about God, but it is knowing God in the sense of experiencing him and his presence. And the only way this, this, this verse is saying to experience God and his presence is to be still, is to attain some version of stillness, some level of stillness. And the only way to get to stillness, it needs to start with silence. Um, So a very important point, St. John Climacus says, um, he's a a monastic from the seventh or eighth century. He said, the friend of silence comes close to God. Um, So again, we see about getting close to God, becoming united with God, silence is one of the critical steps. Uh, there's a book by uh, Henry Nguyen, He's, uh, it's called The Way of the Heart. Um, he speaks much about silence and he says that the meaning of silence is that it protects the inner fire. Silence guards the inner heart of a religious emotions. This inner heat is the life of the Holy Spirit within us. We're guarding the Holy Spirit that is dwelling in us by our silence. Uh, Saint Basil the Great, um, of whom we commemorate I believe tomorrow, He says, silence is the beginning of purifying the soul. So again, all these themes that I'm trying to repeat is that silence is the beginning and the start and something that is necessary to attain unity with God and to attain, um, to know God. Um, Often we feel maybe that we need many words um, and it's kind of understandable. You know, for us, the words are like the language of this world. Um, And there's a saying that says, The monks, I think, knew that the words of the language of the world, um, but the language of silence is for the world to come. Uh, Even in churches, many churches these days, um, the the main focus of the worship service is the sermon. The main focus is a very well-spoken preacher who has eloquent words and can deliver and communicate a a well-delivered message. That's the central focus of the worship service. the words that he can project to the audience or to the crowd and the congregation and maybe um, in our spiritual life and our prayers it's no different Um, we if you're like me maybe we offer many words to god Um, and if we do not you know often if i if i do not offer all my words to god or maybe go through my checklist of supplications to god then i feel like i haven't accomplished something Um, so maybe that's like maybe we all have that feeling of you know, we must say everything so that we feel that we have completed our prayer. And of course, words are necessary. Our igbeas, our, our prayer books are incredibly necessary. But if they're offered alone without silence um, before God, then they become somewhat empty. They become redundant. Uh, they don't have any depth. Because it is in silence where, we're, where we, we sense and we experience the presence of God. And that, what, that's what prayer is. Prayer is being in the presence of God. That's what we're doing. So we cannot just hear God through talking and talking again words are necessary, but they're only part of our prayer and does not mean um, it does not need to be many words as we will discuss looking at some different versions and different passages in Scripture tonight. So that's kind of my entry into into our discussion. I want to look um, through a few different um, passages in Scripture that kind of emphasizes this idea of Scripture and the first one is um, give me one second sorry the first one is the story of the um sorry technical issue so the search one is about the woman um who had the flow of blood for 12 years um it is in Mark 5, 25 to 34. Let's go grab that. It's actually one of the, one of the stories that's actually in all of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, which kind of speaks already to its, its significance um, as an important story and something that we should look at closely. So we'll read it together. It starts at chapter, um, verse 25 and goes to verse 34. It says now a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians, she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garments for, she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of affliction, healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So it's a very beautiful story, um, and it shows a lot about not just the woman, but about the nature and and the person of Christ. Um, But I wanted to um, focus on a few different points in this story. We read about her she had like a hemorrhage for 12 years um, and she had suffered suffered for many many years and her suffering um, for this woman was not just physical Um, because of the Jewish law and because of her affliction that she had she was deemed unclean Um, so she had the the physical suffering but she also was not allowed into the city um, because uh, the city of Jerusalem because she was considered unholy because she had this flow of blood. So she suffered both this physical ailment as well as a sort of public humiliation. People knew her and they people knew that she was considered unclean. But we see in her actions many, many beautiful things and many wonderful things we can contemplate on. In Luke's version of this gospel, he uses the word that she reached for him or the fringe of of his garment. And when we reflect on this, we see this deep faith in this woman who knowing that she all she had to do is touch his clothes, touch the little hem of his clothing, that she would be made well. By her coming up from behind him, that represents her acknowledgement that she was not holy and she should not touch a holy person. So she's acknowledging that Jesus was a holy person by approaching from behind where he couldn't see her. Um, and so she recognized the holy, holiness of Christ. The second thing we notice, which is um, which is very interesting, is that, and we see this many times in the scripture, is it's talking about how there was a crowd around him. There was a large crowd, and Jesus, of course, was very famous. He had many people around him to the point where you may not even be able to see him because he was surrounded. People desiring to touch him, people wanting healing, people wanted to, you know, to talk to him. They were, you, know, you can imagine, people were clamoring, they were yelling, they were shouting, um, just you know, in, in desperation. Um, but among the noise of the crowd, there's this silent faith of this woman. You know, this silent faith is the, one, is the one who found healing. And she didn't just find physical healing in her silence. It was Christ, as we read, who, who turned around and he made, a point, he made a point of stopping. And he questioned who touched him, in which the disciples said, uh, you know, that makes no sense. You're surrounded by people. Um, how would we know who touched you? Everybody is touching you. But of course, Christ, Christ himself knew who touched him um saint ephraim the syrian he says it was fitting that the faith that shined out brightly in hidden agony was publicly crowned and this is what christ did christ wanted to proclaim to all the people to everyone there including those who said she was unholy you know the priests or whatever that this woman who had suffered for many years that she was healed that she was okay that she was holy uh, and he wanted her no longer to suffer, not just the physical ailment. ailment. He did not want her to suffer from this public um, humiliation, anguish that inflicted her for so long. And the beautiful thing about it is she said not, she didn't say a word. Um, she only offered up her faith and sincerity. Um, her words in this, in this uh, instance were not necessary. Um, you know, we read about others in the crowd and I'm, I'm sure many were sick and, and, you know, were they healed? Uh, Based on other scriptural passages, I'm assuming many were healed, you know, touching Jesus, I I assume many were healed, Um, but it's Christ, as well as the Gospels who point out that point out this story and they choose to honor this woman, um, who in the silence of her faith, she was healed. Um, The crowds here, they kind of represent uh, the distractions in our life, the crowds are the things that keep us from getting to Christ all the people, they're surrounding him and they are like the distractions in our life that we are talking about. The things that keep us um, from approaching him, from seeing him. And these distractions are the th- same thing that keep us from having this experience of silence and approaching God. And so when we, when, we, when we reflect on the story, when we contemplate, we have to think about it in our own prayer life. Um, are we like the crowd that is approaching Christ and yelling and screaming and desiring and supplicating? Or are we like this woman who just, in the presence of Christ, desire just to reach and touch him, to just touch the hem of his clothing in the utmost faith? I think if we do this, and if we strive to have more of a depth and a more of a stillness and silence in our prayer life, I think we will all be offered the same healing um, that this woman was, was, was experienced. And, and the healing was when Christ told her, go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Uh, And we will have the same thing because we are all um, suffering from the sickness of sin and Christ is offering us healing if we reach to him in faith. The other uh, story I wanted to read is the um, famous story of Zacchaeus. And I think many people are familiar with Zacchaeus. Um, It was a very, uh, very interesting story. And um, I'd like to go through it. It's Luke 19, um, verses 1 to 10. it says then jesus entered and passed through jericho now behold there was a man named zacchaeus who was a chief who was a chief tax collector and he was rich and he sought to see jesus who jesus was but could not because of the crowd for he was of short stature so he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was going to pass that way and when jesus came to the place he looked up and saw him and said zacchaeus make haste and come down for today i must stay at your house So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with this man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I shall restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So a little bit about Zacchaeus as we read, he's the he's the chief tax collector um, in Jericho, and so he was probably, if not the most disliked, um, pretty close. Uh, I could probably use the word hated. He was not um, he was not a, a good person. He would take from people, and they, you know, these chief tax collectors really um, their main focus was on, on acquiring. Um, they were suffered from incredible greed. It says of him also that he was a very short stature, so he wasn't a very you know, impressive man, I guess, is uh, what we what we're being told. And because he was the chief tax collector, actually, he he would be considered among this, the level of like a prostitute in terms of the level of sinner at that time. Um, so he was, you know, he wasn't, you know, what we would look at and from outside and say, well, that's a good person. And that's how people looked upon Zacchaeus at the time. <clears throat> But in this story, we see something a little bit different about Zacchaeus. We see his great desire simply to see Christ. Um, And again, we read about a very similar thing that we read about in the the last story about the woman who was sick. We read about how, again, Christ is surrounded by great crowds. Again, this theme of crowds. And it says specifically that he desired to see him but he could not because of the crowd for he was of short stature. So you can imagine many people around Christ and this short person in the back trying to look up to see Christ. And he had such a great desire to see him. Uh, And again, here, these crowds represent um, the distractions, the things that keep us from seeing Christ. And it could be people, you know, people in our lives, maybe who um, are, are preventing us from seeing Christ, but it could also be things. It could also be you know, like I said, um, distractions in terms of noise. It could all be all these things. Anything that prevents us from seeing Christ um, could be representative of those people. So Zacchaeus does something, um, does something which seems subtle to our, to our own understanding. But if you look closer, it's a little bit more, more than subtle. It says that Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him. And there's a significance around running and climbing a tree, even though maybe we think in our culture that there's nothing, no big deal. But in the Middle Eastern culture in this time, and I think maybe even now, I'm not 100% sure, it would be considered, you know, despised, shameful for a grown man to run. Um, And even more so for a grown man to climb a tree, it would be looked down upon, it would be shameful for that person to do that. But Zacchaeus, this is where you can see his desire to see Christ. He literally put aside all his pride, put aside all his dignity. He did not care what other people thought or said. He desired just simply to lay his eyes on him. Um, He didn't even sound, it doesn't even talk about how he desired to touch him. He just wanted to see Christ. So running and climbing a tree, he climbs to the top of the tree. And of course, he finally gets an opportunity to see Christ. What we see that Zacchaeus did not do is he didn't scream out. He didn't try and convince Christ to come to his house. He simply avoided the crowds and he found a way to lay his eyes on Christ and to satisfy that desire to see Christ. And so again, we see no words. No words were necessary. God, Christ, saw the heart of Zacchaeus. And as he approached him, he looked up into the tree and invited um, and, and desired to stay with Zacchaeus in Zacchaeus' house. And in that moment, um, Zacchaeus' life was transformed. It was a 180. St. Augustine says about us, he says, the reason we do not see Jesus is because we are ashamed to climb that sycamore tree. Right? And we can contemplate on that in our lives. Maybe we're not, it's not about being ashamed to climb the sycamore tree, but maybe we just don't desire to rid ourselves of all the stuff that's keeping us separate from Christ and all the stuff that's taking up our time and all the stuff that's distracting us. You know, do we desire to climb that tree to avoid the crowds, to sit in silence in the presence of God as Zacchaeus did? Um, Again, if we do that, God who is waiting for us to do that he will invite himself into our lives and our hearts as he did with Zacchaeus. And then we'll be transformed as Zacchaeus was. I mean, Zacchaeus went from the most greedy person in the world To simply receiving an invitation from Christ, to basically giving up everything that, um, or not everything, but a lot of his goods, if not most of them. If anyone has any comments or questions, please feel free. This is not meant to just be me, but, um, or you can put them in the chat too. There's a story about uh, St. Anthony, um, who's the father of the monks, um, and a young monk. It's a very nice story. Um, Often the monks would go and visit St. Anthony in his cave. Um, And when they went, the monks would sit around St. Anthony and they would ask him many questions. Um, Every time they would go to visit St. Anthony, this one young monk, he would just sit there um, and he wouldn't say anything. And this happened repeatedly, multiple times. He sat there in silence and just looked at St. Anthony. On one of these visits, um, St. Anthony said to him, he said, my son, you come here often to see me, but you do not say anything. And then the young monk spoke up and he said, it is enough for me to see you, Father. And there's a lot of, you know, wonderful contemplation on this. You know it was enough for him to see christ in saint anthony he didn't have to actually talk he didn't have to hear Saint Anthony even say anything he just wanted to see his face um and i think in our in our prayer life that's something maybe we need to contemplate on when we sit down in our prayer room when we take time out to be with christ um we need to make it a point to just want to be in the presence of god um one of the good things that we can do to do that is when we begin our prayer, we sit for, you know, a few minutes, five minutes, just sitting and contemplating on the fact that we are sitting in the presence of God. And God himself has humbled himself to hear our prayer. He has desired to be with us. And at this point, we are being with him. So really, when we when we approach prayer, we should not do it in a rushed way. It should be with preparation. And also um, there should be some time some in time silence where I sit with Christ. And I contemplate on the fact that I am in the presence of the creator. Um, there are many other uh, scriptural references to this, um, to silence. And I, and I won't go through the each one individually, but I'll just touch on each one um, quickly. Um, and I think many of them are, are well known. So the story of the sinful woman, the sinful woman was a woman who... Um, had great sin, it doesn't specifically say what she did, but she was the one who went into the Pharisee's house. Um, This is one of my favorite verses because she is a very strong and courageous person, but she's strong and courageous for a different way than we expect. Um, She was strong in her weakness. Um, She entered into the Pharisee's house um, and she said nothing. She ignored the religious leaders of the day um, who were sitting in their places of honor and looking down upon her. Um, she knew that they would be judging her and she cared nothing really for their stares. Um, she didn't say anything. She just approached Jesus and she went on her knees and she wept and she wept at his feet. And she, it says of her that she washed his feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. So she approached Christ in silence and her tears are what spoke of her repentance. And in her tears, she's found healing. In her silence, and her faith, in her repentance, she found healing. No words were necessary for her. Her silence, in fact, expressed her the depth of her repentance. Um, and her tears offered, you know, something that the words she could say never, never could say anything. The, the tears uh, were the sign of the repentance. And I think about this even in my, you know, in confession and repentance. How often we speak many words. Um, but, and, and this is myself first, I speak many words, um, trying to, you know, bring up all the, the bad things I do, you know, confess everything I do, but how often do I sit and think in silence about my day, about what I did, and contemplate on that, and, and, and come to a point of sincere repentance, something, when we get to that point of sincere repentance, words are not necessarily, are not necessary, as we see with this sinful woman. We also read about the story of Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus. Um, we read about how Martha was very busy. She was, you know, preparing the food. She was serving, um, and she had frustration with Mary because Mary was sitting at the feet of Christ. And when Martha complained to Jesus about Mary, Christ gently instructs Martha that Mary has chosen the best part, and there's nothing wrong with service. There's nothing wrong. About doing good that's necessary in our life with Christ. But the better part is the part um, of sitting at the feet of Christ in silence and listening, and just allowing the Holy Spirit maybe to talk to us and just reflecting on the presence of God. So this is the most important part. And I think about our, our my prayers, and I think many mo- most of it is words, and very little of it is the reflecting on the presence of God. So we must sit silently at the feet of Christ, allowing him to um, speak with us. We cannot hear him if we're always speaking. Um, Pope Shenouda actually used to talk about, um, there's, a, there's a sermon that I can't remember exactly, but he used to speak about how we desire to do much service and we desire to go to meetings and we desire to, you know, teach Sunday school and we desire to do uh, lots of different things more so than we do prayer. And I think this is obvious to, to many of us that we, um, the, the actions, the, the tangible things we are ready to do quickly, but are we ready to do the, um, the, the act of prayer? Um, one of the monks used to say that uh, the virtue of prayer is the most difficult one because um, that is, you know, the time that, you know, where we're most attacked. So we must focus on this idea of sitting silently in prayer with, with in the presence of God. Um, St. Isaac the Syrian, he, a 7th century monk, he says, the highest form of prayer is to stand silently in awe before God. Um, I'll read it. I'll read it one more time. The highest form of prayer is to stand silently in awe before God. And this is something we're trying to attain to. This is not necessarily something where we start, you know, this is where we're getting to. Um, But this is, this needs to be our goal. You know, Um, So we must not settle simply for quick prayers and met with many words. We want to aspire to stand silently in the knowledge that we are standing in the presence of God. A couple more scriptural things we can reflect on um, is the blind man. So they use words in the story of the blind man, um, but they use it have mercy on us. They're yelling out as Christ was passing by son of David, have mercy on us. And in this story, again, we hear about the crowds trying to silence, um, silence them, trying to tell them to keep their voices down. And there's this concept, again, of crowds, of, of things and people trying to get in our way of being close to Christ. But they were persistent. They persistently called out, "Jesus, or Son of David, have mercy on us. And they said these words in faith. So they ignored the crowds, which were trying to silence them and silence their ability to approach Christ. Um, and this is one of the basis for a very powerful prayer called the Jesus Prayer that we say, the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Um, something that maybe we can also use as a pathway to silence. We can use this Jesus Prayer to get us into the act of saying Christ's name and reflecting on his presence over and over again that leads us closer to this path of silence that we would like to have in our prayer life. And the final story I'll talk about is, is the story of the, of the father of the boy who was possessed. There's a, there's a story in the scripture about, um, about a man who desired his son, who had been, I think, possessed for many years, if not since birth, about, um, that he desired to be healed. And, and the apostles, he had asked them to heal them, but they were unable to. So his father um, pleaded with Christ. And, and his words he used here are, very simple yet very powerful when Christ asked him if he believes the man responded and said i believe help my unbelief um and so there's this act here of there's a simplicity in what he's saying in his prayer but it's also an act of truth and and uh, almost an act of showing his weakness that he's saying i believe help my unbelief and maybe we can apply this to many aspects of our life when we're, in our prayer life You know, again, instead of saying many words, maybe we can say things like I believe help my unbelief or I have faith, but help my lack of faith. I love you, but help my lack of love, you know, simple words, but said with faith, um, acknowledging that we're in the presence of God is very powerful. And of course, Christ healed his son um, after seeing this man's um, faith. We often speak of St. Mary in, in, in many ways, and St. Mary, of course, is honored more than the angels. And if we think about and we reflect on how often St. Mary is talked, how much she said in the scripture, um, very few things, um, almost almost nothing we hear of her saying. Um, except, of course, in the in the wedding of Cana, where she talked about turning to ask Christ to do um, turn the water into wine, um, but yet, St. Mary, from her silence, achieved um, this position of the greatest honor amongst, amongst people. And it says of her multiple times in the scripture that she was amazed and she would witness things. But what does it say about her? It says that she kept all these things in her heart. She didn't speak, but she kept all these things in her heart. She had this silence. You know. This, she was made perfect almost in her silence. And it's very important that we pattern ourselves after people like St. Mary, who, who, you know, this is the essence of her. I can imagine just a, a picture of who she was, that she was not loud, she was not argumentative, but she had faith and her faith in her, in her silence. So there are many examples in scripture, of course, where silence or simple words said in faith bore great fruit, as we just discussed a little bit. But when we speak about silence, I don't want to necessarily just speak about silence in our room, silence in our prayer life. All those things are, of course, very important. But silence can and needs to be applied to all our parts, all our aspects of life, especially now because we are inundated um, with so many things. And with the elections coming up in November, we see how much um, division is being created. Um, we see how much hate and we see how much back and forth right wing, left wing, all people are are ready to tear each other apart, you know, and and it's manifested in words, 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 words. Words are used as a weapon against people now. Um, There's nothing um, sanctified or or sacred about words anymore. So we must, as as Christians, we must have this act of silence in all aspects of our life. Um, And silence starts with, Outer silence, silence starts um, outwardly us from us and then works its way inward. And this is true with any of the virtues. We must start first by taming our flesh, by controlling our flesh, and then our soul begins to be purified. And again, I mentioned the political aspect. I'm not, this isn't a political discussion, but maybe sometimes we need to desire to be silent then, in, then instead of confrontation. Maybe we need to be silent instead of a rebuttal. We may do, need to be silent instead of getting involved in everything that the world is offering us for us to get worked up. Um, there's a lot of unrest and there's a lot of uh, discord and there's a, there's not a lot of peace. This kind of um, this kind of anger and, and inner um, frustration that we are seeing in the world. And whenever I reflect on this, I think that often this is a trick from the the, the devil because you know it's like we're leaves in the wind. Uh, you know we're kind of getting blown back and forth. Every news cycle, there's something new and we're getting blown back and forth where all this noise is coming in. This issue, this issue, this person said this, this person said this, and we're consuming all of it and up, down, up, down, getting blown back and forth, just like a leaf in the wind. We're getting tossed around. We have no peace and we have no rest. And it almost seems to me like a game from the demons, the devils to get us angry, to get us worked up, to divide humanity and divide people. And we must work to avoid that. And the, only, the best way to do that is to avoid these things, to avoid constantly consuming news and constantly having um, input to our senses, or else we will not have any rest. It's the same thing in our personal relationships. Um, sometimes we need to choose silence and obedience, even maybe we think it's unjust, or maybe we think that we're not getting the fair shake. Sometimes it's, it's better to just be silent and be obedient over being defensive and arguing. Um, and in social media, using our phones, silence can simply mean to put these things away. Spend three hours, two hours without our phones. Um, and I say this to myself definitely first because I've yet to do this, but um, I will definitely try. Um, it can and definitely should mean turning off our TVs at night you know, entertainment in in small amounts is okay, but if we're constantly doing this, then um, our mind is going to be completely full of stuff. You know, even try driving with the radio off, gain silence. We're often in our cars, maybe not as much as during COVID, but, you know, this is a wonderful way maybe to let our thoughts um, get some relaxation. So if we have to start by removing the physical things from around us, and then we can go to our prayer room. Then we can go and desire stillness and silence with Christ. You know, if we, if we spend all our days with noise, 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 we come home, more noise, and then we, it reaches the end of the day, it says, okay, it's time for my prayer. When we go to stand before God, and, I, and I'm sure we've all experienced this, we have thoughts, thoughts, and thoughts of things that are not about God. We have thoughts about you know, our day. We have thoughts about the day to come. We have thoughts about what show we just watched. We have thoughts about just random stuff that honestly, if we weren't in our prayer rooms, if we weren't trying to pray, we probably wouldn't even have those thoughts. But those thoughts are easy tools um, to put in our minds because we are allowing them. We are allowing them by by allowing ourselves to be constantly distracted. Um, so if we really want to attain inner silence and Again, that's how we get to to the experience of Christ by attaining this inner silence, we must begin by taming the senses um, of the things that we are by reducing the things we are exposed to. I say this, obviously, using words, but in truth, silence is very difficult and silence takes work and stillness. um, Takes lots of work. Um, Especially because we're not used to sitting down quiet. Um, We're not conditioned to do that as we've talked about today. Um, If you've ever tried, or maybe you can try tonight, if you ever try and go to your room and just simply sit there for two minutes, um, turn off the lights, light a candle, something, and just think or say the Jesus prayer for a couple minutes, you will see how difficult it is. So that's why we have to practice. We have to start out doing a very small amount and work our way up. But again, the preparation is the key. We cannot just simply go to our rooms, Stand for prayer and expect that we will experience the presence of God. So we must detach ourselves from the world. Um, And then combined with detaching, we must force ourselves to sit quietly in our prayer rooms. It is work. It will require effort. Um, But we must start slowly and increase over time. Silence again starts by not responding to every whim that we have. Sometimes we get a thought and it goes, if you're one of those people like me, you get a thought and you have to say it. Or you hear someone say something that you don't agree with, you have to respond. Um, We can start by not doing that. We can start by just saying, no, I'm going to remain silent. Um, Silence is, um, is listening to people. That's another big one. Instead of just talking or preparing what we're going to say in response to the person who's talking to us, it's simply to listen and take in what that person is saying. Even in evangelism, I think something we do at St. Paul's in evangelism, we think of many things to do. We study apologetics, which is all very good and it's very necessary that we know our faith. Um, but we feel that we must prove our faith and the truth of our faith through words. Um, and I think generally speaking, words are, are necessary, especially when someone is asking us questions, but it's not necessarily the thing that brings people to Christ you know, it may start their mind, it may, it may get them thinking, but often people are, are, are moved to Christ by seeing the action, seeing the light inside of us, seeing how we behave, seeing our depth of our faith. This is very similar to the young monk in the story of St. Anthony, how he just needed to see St. Anthony, and that is what gave him um, strength. So evangelism words are important, but even more so are the silent faith that we have. Um, will be even more of a um, something that someone, when they see us, will desire what we have. Um, the last thing I'm going to talk about is the greatest example of silence in the history of, of the world. And the greatest example of silence, and this is the silence that led to our salvation. And of course, Christ, um, I'm speaking of the silence that Christ um, had as he was brought to Calvary to be crucified. Um, in Isaiah 53, there's a prophecy about Christ. Let's see if I can bring it up quickly. It's a very famous uh, chapter. Oops. Let's see. Isaiah 53. Um, I will start with, uh, he was on verse seven. It says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And this whole chapter actually is a very beautiful chapter. But um, here we, we read about in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of the injustice that was happening to him, Christ himself demonstrated his power through his silence. His silence reflected his strength. His It reflected his determination. It reflected his will, his love, and his joy for, uh, to, to save us. And what looked like weakness to the outside world um, was the exact opposite. Um, he could have commanded his angels to come down at any moment. It could have, he could have freed himself from the traps. But in that silence um, was hidden his true desire and that was our salvation and it's the same thing with us our salvation is hidden in our silence um, because it's in our silence where we experience christ um, in our silence we find the ability to discipline ourselves it's the ability to deny ourselves one of the most important things in our faith is our ability to deny my own self-will and often denying my own self-will is manifested in silence to control our tongues, as we read in James, in the, in the Epistle of Saint James, is is the path to salvation. It's the beginning of our path to salvation. To avoid sin, um, we can conclude by reading together uh, Psalm sixty-two. Um, I'll go to Psalm sixty-two. In verse five, we read, my soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. So again, we read again about sitting in the presence of God, waiting silently because our salvation is found in him. And that's what we must be expecting um, when we when we desire to be with him sitting in his presence silently. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Um, I finished a little bit early, but if, uh, if there's any comments or anything, uh, we can take them now or we can end a little bit early tonight.
1: Uh, Eric, uh, one thing I want to add to what you said about, about uh, in terms of speaking and tongues, is that many times we think, many, many, times, many times we say the right words But but we say them, but but we say them in a bad attitude. So, so I mean, in that sense, you know, before we start speaking, we need to ask ourselves. You know, what words, what words do I need to say? What words do I need to say? And also how should I say those words? Should I say those words in an angry way or should I say those words in a way that, in a way that I don't hurt myself, or more, and also more importantly, I don't hurt the people who I'm talking with.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, Mina. Thank you. I think, you know, what I, you think because that reflects what's in your heart. What you say, you're right.
1: And also that uh, that, uh, that that first story that you read at the beginning reminds me of. Uh, on the barren man who was sick with, that first story that you read, mm. reminds me of the barren man who, who was sick for 38 years, and, and God actually asked him a simple question. Uh, he asked him, "Do you want to be made well?" Mm. And instead of saying, uh, "Yes, I want to be made well," the barren man tells him that that you know, I have nobody to put me into the boat. So uh so uh so uh so uh so God told him to pick up your bed at walk. So uh, so uh so so he did that and then and then um and 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 then and and then later the virgin asked them who uh who uh or or or, or asked me before that the verde said, said to the to the man that in it, it it is the Sabbath is not is not to take care of your bed so. So, so then the apparently the man uh, told them, he who made me well told me to pick up my bed and walk. So then they asked them, uh, who told you? And then the apparently the man did not know did, did not know that it was Jesus at the time because, because he didn't he didn't recognize uh, Jesus at that moment. And then and then later the apparently man departed into the Pharisees and told him that and told him that it was Jesus who made him well. And then and then God and and then God came to him and said "See, even maybe you been, you been made, you, been, you, been, you have been made well, go and sin no more. Mm. So I mean that story is similar to the one that he just read that he just read at the beginning.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah, and Christ saw him and, and he had compassion on him and he made him well. It's very good. Thank you, Mina.
1: And also, one more one more thing I want to say before we conclude, sure. is going and going back to the to the story of Mary Martin that you mentioned, mm. is that there's a there's a time there's a time to to listen to God and a time for uh, for uh for uh, for, uh, for uh, serving. Mm. And, and a good example I was thinking of was was that you know like. If I'm the one that like if I'm the one that's giving the lesson on Sunday and and I wake up Sunday morning to repair the lesson, you know, that's called being busy at the wrong at the wrong time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean that's a really
1: since, good point. So I mean since I mean being busy is a combination of a sin and not a sin. Mm-hmm. Just so, like yeah. Just by just by being angry in the sin, but also at the same time in a sin, and we know how to control it.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. Absolutely, and there's nothing wrong with service and nothing wrong with being busy. It's it's, it's very vital to our lives. But you're right. We have to, you know, we have to do the right amount at the right time and and save and make sure we give God um, time in prayer. Thank you, Mina. Okay, we'll go ahead and pray then. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God, amen. we thank you, o Heavenly Father, so much for this time together. And we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to read uh, your word. We ask you, Lord, that you may help us um, avoid some distractions in our lives, oh Lord God, so that we may listen to you, that we may hear you, and that we may spend more uninterrupted time with you, oh God. We ask you, Lord, to help us in our prayers. We know how difficult, oh God, it is to sit in your presence and, and, to, and to pray because of all the things that are going on in our lives and the distractions. We ask you, O Lord, to help us in our struggle and help us, O Lord, to attain higher levels of prayer. And we ask you, O Lord, especially during this time of much divisiveness, that you may we may find unity with one another, maintaining peace, which includes sometimes not necessarily speaking, but remaining silent. We ask you, Lord, to give us discernment on when we should speak and when not to speak, O Lord God may help us always in our pursuit of you and to be unified with you um, together with all your saints one day through the intercessions of your holy mother saint mary archangel michael saint paul saint mark and all angels and saints make us worthy to pray thankfully our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us to the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.